Welcome to Happy Times and Places, a Doctor Who episode commentary podcast designed to accentuate the positive, with me, Toby Haydock. This time around, it's a classic Tom Baker story, introduced by a writer, director, actor, magazine editor, an all-round Doctor Who icon himself. Hello, Toby. Um, my name is Gary Russell, and I have had one or two small involvements with Doctor Who over the years, nothing particularly major or important compared to most. Um, but you've asked me to do this little weird thing uh, that you wanted, where we uh, nominate a Doctor Who story for you to watch, and then you're supposed to guess the most important things to me in it. Um, this could be quite interesting, because unless you've developed telepathy in the last 50-odd years, um, I suspect you're probably not going to get my weird, strange, slightly obscure obsessions. Um, so the story I've given you to go and wear and watch is Robots of Death. I love this story. Um, it's not from my favourite era of the show or anything like that. But it's the sort of episodes that if someone says to you, give me a Doctor Who story, I've never seen the show. I think Robots of Death is probably the most perfect one you can give them. Because it's got a great story, very simple, very straightforward. Looks good, sounds good, well acted. Uh, popular Doctor, very popular and good companion. Um, all round a good four-episode Doctor Who story. So off you go and watch it, and uh, enjoy it, obviously. I'm ordering you to enjoy it. And then I should tell you my favourite things uh, across the four episodes. Well, welcome back to Haydoak Towers. Uh, I'm about to embark on a new adventure in time and space. I'm quite confident about this one. Not on guessing what uh, my special guest has chosen, especially as he alluded to the fact that he's doing it very personally. Um, yes, uh, Gary was one of the very first people I asked, and I think when I conceived this, I had a slightly more convoluted plan. It was it was like different points were broken up of things. Anyway, anyway, I've 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 since made it simple and just gone choose, choose your favourite things and I'll choose mine and we have to see if they're the same I think it was a bit more complicated than that at at this stage um I don't know why I've held off because I, I haven't done them necessarily in the order that I've got them um with the robots of death but I'm recording this on the 28th of January 2021 still in lockdown I hope we're not by the time you hear this uh, but this episode was broadcast on the 29th of January, uh, 1977. Uh, and I hadn't done that deliberately. Um, I fired it up and I thought, oh, just check. Just check when this went out. I've got a feeling it was around now, but I didn't think it was the day before. This happens quite a lot. Sometimes when I've done DVD commentaries. I did one recently for the Web of Fear um, with somebody who didn't do much on it but filmed on a particular date and I looked up that date and it was the date that we were doing the commentary but you know 50 years later but of course there's been plenty of times when I've done things when I've watched an episode of Doctor Who and it's been nowhere near the date that it was broadcast because I think if you watch Doctor Who often as often as I do the chances are it's gonna happen um, but anyway you're welcome to my abode I hope that waffle has given you a chance to fire up Episode 1 of The Robots of Death, 
Let's go glug some Lucanol on the sand miner in three, two, one. Um, I'm cheerful tonight. I've, I've, I polished off another story and I was going to go to bed and I haven't been sleeping very well. Uh, and I thought, I'm in the mood for Doctor Who. I mean, I'm often in the mood for Doctor Who. But this has sort of reinvigorated my 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 pleasure for it. And I think, you know, I know I'm having to talk through it, but I, I think our eyes wander with the internet and all of that sort of thing when we watch telly now, or my, mine, mine does. But I can't because my internet machines are all recording this uh, glorious... This glorious exercise you are a party to. What an opening shot. The model work. Uh, this, I, mean, th I think this is going to be an hour and a half eulogy. There is, uh, that's a brilliant model shot. Kudos to Richard Conway, who I think then uh, went to work in the, the film industry. Has Richard Conway ever done an interview about Doctor Who? Should have done. Uh, I don't know that he has. Um, it's the sort of person I should I shouldn't be badgering, but uh, look the way that rock falls because it's it's I guess it's shot at a, at a speed and then slowed down and then they go it's not enough to have the model we're gonna try and we've got to you know we've got to mix the the interior set into the the model it's an ambitious shot I don't think it's a hundred percent perfect but it shows them going that we want to marry up the two things um, uh, and, 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 a, and a laudable attempt that they pretty they pretty much yeah for the for the for the time i think it it's 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 great and, and i was i was actually quite reluctant to watch the story as a kid because the target book is so thin and the ad, the adventure i'm not saying the script is bad because it's not the script is excellent but the adventure the story is fairly straightforward and simple and 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 and, and you polish the book off fairly quickly and it was one that i'd recorded onto cassette i wanted to do talking books uh long before they were a thing and, and so that's how i practiced you know that's, that's what i did i read them out loud it's how i honed my skill um but i remember not being in a particularly hurry to get it and then i i i i, I met a group of lads uh, in the place which was a comic shop in wolverhampton they were the first doctor fans i really met and for some reason they bunged on a bit of uh, robots of death and i was amazed at how it looked and i was amazed at the sort of interaction between the crew who i think are again i think they're good on paper in the script I, I, as the book is a very hurried book um but the costumes look great and i think the reason they bunged it on is because this group of lads andy and roger and a chap called russ who i never met again actually i don't think but andy and roger i i i did um uh, and they're still facebook friends of mine although i haven't seen either of them for ages they had dask's jacket not the one he's wearing here he's got an outer jacket he's got a work he's got a work overall that's just terribly gaudy um so maybe they stuck it on for that but i i, I was attracted to it. because it was an early vhs that was available i think i then got it because i don't think it had been hard had it been hard but i must have got it after that which surprised me but anyway because it was an early vhs and it was edited so i i i then got it um and was amazed because i had i mean i love this era i love the the holmes hinchcliffe era and and the benchmark for those that you know the 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 sort of average of, of a hinchcliffe holmes is a is a seven or eight out of ten i i, I think they really dip below that just because the productions are so good and, and and there's a rigorousness and a consistency uh to how they're presented and the core uh whether it be tom baker and louise jameson or tom baker and Elizabeth Sladen is so strong 
Um, I prefer this TARDIS console room now. Um, I I found it quite underwhelming then, but I I I I. I it's a laudable approach. I like. I like the idea of the the wooden panels. I I think maybe I'd like the console a bit bigger. The console looks a a little bit like a small writing desk, and um, I think you need a little bit more to power you through time and space. But I like the shadows. I like the colours. It, it it fits in with the gothic, the gothic um, feel of of this era. But but I think the idea is perhaps better than the execution. And I also quite like the BBC Studio TARDIS, the bright one. Um, this should work better for me than it does. But, it, but but looking at it now on this big screen and with its uh, with its um, stained glass window roundels and stuff, it is great. It is great. But it it didn't grab me as a as a kid. So there's something there. Um, and. and I love the scene, the scene where he explains, which I've just talked through, the, the bigger on the inside than on the outside. They've never bothered to try. I'm, I'm still not quite sure I understand it. Her response of, that's silly. Uh, his then response to that of going, that's transdimensional engineering. There's a, there's a sort of, there's a slightly, slightly offended there. But she's dead straight when she says that's silly. She's not ribbing him. It's not joshing. Um Louise Jameson is so good, she judges... And it's a hard ask to play a, a savage who is nonetheless articulate enough to not be boring drama. Um, and she, she has to suggest the simplicity without sort of grunting um, and being staccato or... Uh, look, she counts on her fingers. She does so many little bits and bobs. She's ready... <laughs> no, no, no. Nine times out of ten. <laughs> See, there's already been so many good jokes that I've blooming well talked through. The dialogue sparkles. The, the dynamic between them sparkles. And again, I think, having read the book, I'd not expected much of the TARDIS explanation scene because it seemed to me to be stalling before the adventure. But because of the dynamic between them, because actually it's, it's, it's well shot, to, to explain itself and because it's got all the, the gags the 9 out of 8 out of 10 9 out of 10 because Tom Baker's constantly throwing in these witticisms now some I'm sure ad-libbed and some are in the script and the fact that at this stage you, you can't tell which is great um, Michael Bryant the director is on fine form he has a nice high shot there this is a busy workplace and they managed to pull off the fact that everybody is dressed like they're at a space disco the, I, do, I think these costumes are great. I buy the decadence of this society. They've got time to put makeup on. Uh, isn't it not like Warriors of the Deep where you go, hang on, you're on a hard-nosed military base and you've got eyeshadow. This, this is there as a statement. This is not to go, oh, look, we're being zany and from space. This is going, this is a decadent society where things are done by robots. You do need people to man the ship because the, they need intuition uh, and because you can't have everything fully automated. But they lie around getting massages. Um, they don't need to be in fully practical overalls because uh, they sit around eating grapes and occasionally rush to the control room uh, and do this thing. And they all hate each other. Chris Boucher, um, you can see sort of foreshadowing uh, Blake Seven here. Um, and some of the most fun of Blake Seven is where people squabble, uh, but gloriously. Um, 
Rob Edwards deserves... Uh, Rob Edwards is a fine actor. Uh, he was the original Scar in uh, in The Lion King. Uh, I saw him play Tranio to the Kate of Kate O'Mara, uh, and he was very funny in that. But uh, he's, he's done good parts at the Royal Shakespeare Company. But this must have been an early job for him, and he's also a voice of Zoannan. I guess he was in the studio, so he's, he's, he's already been in Doctor Who last week. Um, but he does this brilliantly um because the the sort of the person who screams and gets killed first is is often not a great actor in doctor who and is often given the very difficult task of sort of backing away whilst not moving his whole thing where he goes no stop i totally buy all of that um the, the scream he's about to give is a bit weird and i think there's something about it it's coming through the communicator and uh and all of that and there's a bit of the script about the scream stopped it's a, it's a funny old thing that and i'm not blaming him for that but i think the way that he does the whole dealing with the robot and he's a bit oh god the thing's stuck and uh, it's it's those death scenes of the the supplementary character that has to die to get the drama kick-started d- often don't benefit from as good an actor as that or as good staging as that uh, and look, that's a creepy... We know now the robots are, are, are bad. And of course, of course, it's giving the, giving away the twist. Oh, the robots are the bad guys. But of course, what where the drama comes from is we know that, but none of these people do. So what should be a, actually a disappointment actually becomes an advantage. The way that robot came forward there, just to give a bit of information to Commander Yuvanov, uh, is, it actually then takes on a very creepy aspect because we know and and they don't. So we've we've had a, a great death scene from the from the annoying chub, uh, uh, and a good performance from Rob Edwards, who I've since read on online um, is c- can be quite short with uh, with with Doctor Who fans. Oh, and that's a great model shot of the TARDIS, and I think they're having the little bit of video effect going over it that, that whatever the monitor's doing, and the and then the, the 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 shaft of light on the TARDIS as the model goes up. I mean, thought has gone into all of this. Why have that little video effect um, going over the monitor? I don't know what that signifies, but it makes it seem somehow more plausible. I can, I can understand it existing in that world. And it's it, it takes it a step away from it being a TV studio in 1976. Um, but yes, Rob, Rob, Rob Edwards um, did did my Who's Round and, and was very jolly and very nice and uh, didn't even... Make me buy him lunch. I bought. I think I bought him a sandwich. Um, uh, but I've, I've since said he doesn't really like talking about Doctor Who and doesn't like stopping for autographs and stuff. So uh, maybe I lucked out. Uh, he was interviewed. He was introduced to me by a by a fellow actor, but I got no uh, impression from him because he works at the Bolton Octagon a lot. Uh, that he was that he was in any way reluctant. Uh, David Collings. Tanya Rogers, who's in Gangsters, I've been thinking about a lot because uh, Philip Martin wrote that, and he's just passed away. Um, and these are great seventies um, character actors. They're all well. Tanya Rogers is the only one who, and, and nobody's ever quite spoken to. Her. I think she's in Birmingham where they they did Gangsters, but uh, her career didn't uh, carry on as as long as everybody as long as everybody else's. And I think if she'd wanted to be uh, involved in stuff she she could have been so um uh i know very little about her apart from the fact that you know she's she's around and i think she's there but and uh, and uh, nobody's ever managed to get through to her but uh, the rest of the crew they're they're a bevy of uh, welcome 70s 
faces and voices. And I think they're all great in this. And I think the, the, the little bits of effort that have gone into the characterization of everybody, including Chubb, um, really help it. That sandstorm looks great. And, and, and uh, you know, appearing on the distance, it's a really good effect. And that's a great way of doing the set of having those big um, fan things, you know, the big, the, 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 the big Venetian blindy things where there's a word for them and I can't remember um, in the foreground and with us and then having the model shot through it is excellent and almost seamless. Uh, and, and again, we, I mean, this is a, a little bit of jeopardy at the beginning before we get the doctor uh, and Leela meeting the crew that there's there's danger already not from the main threat just from the work environment that they are in um haven't even mentioned russell hunter known to me when i first saw this as lonely uh in callan uh, who was a rather apologetic shabby figure uh cast completely against type and brilliantly so uh, and I've never seen him given a performance like this. I've seen him in a couple of other things where he was a bit closer to Lonely. I think he's superb as Yuvanov. David Collings, incapable of a bad performance. Now, that's the one thing that when I showed this to my friends at school, they were like, that's a bicycle reflector. And you go, oh, couldn't they have used something else? Because one bicycle reflector can undo a whole load of work. <laughs> I had a... a this 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 is these this is he'd probably agree with you you see it's just little bits of that sort of sardonic wit that chris boucher has uh that just elevate what is basically an agatha christie in in space um uh and i remember when i first saw this I'd, i had read the book as i say the book hadn't made a brilliant impression on me the reason i'd wanted to to read it for my cassette that I my audio tape that I was doing was because it was easily the shortest book. Um, but but I hadn't even picked up that the dumbs were black and I'd never seen any photos of the dumbs. So that was another pleasant surprise of going, oh okay, the dumb the dumbs are black. And it's uh it's a, and that's a, a, another colour scheme. Um and, and I, I love these scenes be between the crew because it's the simmering tension, you know, and one of you killed in one of us and, you know, and everybody chipping away a little bit and Borg's, Borg's there and different people stick up for different people and then blame people. And, uh, and of course, we, we know it's none of them. We don't know that anyone's in league with the robots at the moment. Um, and, and then Dask there being very um, terse and to the point uh then Cass here uh who like Zilda is a sign of um uh multicultural casting uh which is not to be underestimated uh, at this period in uh in television let alone Doctor Who um good to see that sort of representation um and and Cass Tarek Yunus uh, and uh Brian Croucher Borg were 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 mates and um, Bryant has told me some very hairy tales of um, um, uh, late night curries and uh, uh, marijuana smoking in dressing rooms. <laughs> uh, love this where he goes to grab it and then it's corpse marker and Borg ends up left with it in his hands. That's a lovely little piece of business. Um, 
Dusk's hair is amazing, isn't it? Because I guess it's sort of in real life, it's sort of shaggy, appalling, sort of shapeless 70s hair. But the way that they've swept it there and given him that sort of elevated bounce is, uh, is rather swish. Um, and David Collings always had a very full head of hair. Can't quite believe that David Collings has, has gone. He was so present in everything we love from various Doctor Who's to... Um, he was in The Lord of the Rings on the radio. He played Legolas that uh, I listened to on a Saturday morning that had such an amazing cast. Um, and my mum and my brother sort of knew who David Collings was. Uh, he was one of those actors that people knew. Now, Gary Russell no, knew David Collings because he was in uh, that thing with him. David Collings played a character called Lord Dark. Uh yeah, I wonder if... Because uh, no, I've got to try and guess what Gary's going to choose. Uh, there's an embarrassment of riches I haven't even mentioned. Uh, look at SV7. And the voices are perfectly judged. I've done a few robot voices for, for Big Finish. Because um, I was in a, a, a Big Finish called Robophobia. Um, where I played a human character, but also played some of the robots. So then when they did one called Sons of Caldor, they went, well, Toby, you're you're the big Finnish robots, so you come back and be the robots. So I was like, yay, I'm the big Finnish robots. They've now done a series called The Robots with loads of robots. I'm, I'm none of the robots. <laughs> so there we go. I had a brief moment where I, I, I perhaps I, I thought I was, uh, 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 you know, uh, yes, a regular fixture doing a particular thing. Um, but then but obviously... I'm obviously not. <laughs> um, haven't haven't mentioned Kenneth Sharp sets yet, which are great. Um, I I think Tom Baker is at the height of his powers here. I love the way that you you know just the way he walks around there, picking up little clues, soaking in the information. Uh, he doesn't get carried away. There's a keen intelligence working away there as he soaks up the environment. Uh, and she's game and joins in. Louise Jameson is brilliant. Immediately, this is only her second story. Um, she's playful. She's intuitive. Again, it's that thing of this, this character who is uneducated but intelligent. Uh, a difficult tightrope to walk. And I think Louise Jameson is flawless. I, I don't think she has a bad moment in Doctor Who. Uh And SV7, Miles Fothergill, who, uh, uh, if my information is correct, lives in Spain with a Naimon. There we go. <laughs> you come here for all the good trivia. <laughs> uh, and that robot design is so good. I, th I think the only place it falls down is their feet with the sort of silver cardboard slung around. And that wouldn't be such a problem if there weren't so many close-ups. <laughs> um but I mean, when I when I pick faults in robots of this, it's, it's only because the faults I pick out will be pretty much the only faults in the thing, and I I just say it, you know, for full disclosure. I am I am in no way. This is a ten out of ten for me, a nine or a ten. I'm reluctant to give tens because my 
my my my world view is <laughs> is one where perfection is very difficult to attain, and I more so for me than anybody else. So um, I'm not I'm not disparaging other people's efforts. I always think there's uh, improvements can be done, especially in stuff I do. That's uh, why I keep trying. Um, but I I I, I think everyone everyone is triumphing here. Uh, and it's interesting because because the, the wife in space, which was uh, which was a, a chronological watch by uh, a, a very witty fellow called uh, Neil Perriman and his fabulous wife Sue, um, who I largely agreed with their 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 findings. Sue, who hadn't seen all of Doctor Who, and was, I think they watched in chronological order. Sue did not like the robots of death, and it and it slightly disappointed me and Sue. Their books, they're available. Uh, get it online. It was a blog as well. Um, it's great. It's great. Um, but they, yeah, they didn't like the robots of death. Interestingly, because I think it it's sort of hard sci-fi, isn't it? In the sense, although it's an Agatha Christie story, it, it's its unlike a dot of Doctor Who, it's not set on Earth. Um, you know, this society, although I think that's one of its strengths, that it creates a society. And I'll be boring about this. You know, like you are about everything else, Toby. And and don't do that American accent thing. It's annoying. Um, I'm, I'm aware of that. I'm so sorry. Um, um, <laughs> oh God. Um, stop listening to the voices. Um, what am I saying? Uh, that, that, yeah, the world building, which is a Holmesian thing, a Robert Holmesian thing that I think... I think Chris Brouch was very influenced by Robert Holmes, and I don't, and I, I don't think he hides that. You know, he owed a great debt to him, but uh, Brouch is very, very witty of his own accord as well. But uh, so I think they're quite simpatico. I think they're quite similar writers, um, um, I, and I love Brouch's stuff. Um, I'd love him to have done more Doctor Who, uh, but we lost him to Blake Seven, really, didn't we? Um, but the world building in this is so effective. You know, the founding families, Caldor City, Lucanol. We don't know what that is, but it doesn't matter. Um, you know, just for, for for what could be a relatively simple setting. Uh, oh, and this is the part of the sand miner that is made of film. Um, uh, we used to have torches like that. I, I, I quite like seeing that torch. It's odd because then I think people would have gone, oh, he's, he's got a modern torch. Now, watching it, I cannot believe that 1977 is 43 years ago. And that's Carol. We hear about Carol, even though he's dead before we ever meet him. But he gets, you know, he's... I think it's clever to make him one of the founding families people um, because it gives him a, a piece of the action, even though he's he's an extra. I mean, he's literally an extra playing a corpse. And funny enough, this was one of the last adventures I experienced properly because I had it on VHS, edited all together. I only had this in episodical form, is that a word? When it came out on DVD, it was one of the first DVDs to come out and it was the first Doctor Who DVD I had. I got it on a Christmas when I got my first ever DVD player. So this is the first Doctor Who I watched on DVD and lo and behold, look at that. The only time, I think, in the Tom Baker era where the titles don't cut in, they fade in. The action, a bit of the action is bled into the title sequence which I didn't know it was one of the last things I learned about Doctor Who because I was so familiar I'd already seen this story you know 20 times but and I knew where the cliffhangers were so I assumed I wasn't really missing much 
but I was. I was missing something fundamental. Well, I mean, that's fundamental to me because it's a slightly different thing. These are all names to conjure. Duncan Brown, excellent lighting. Uh, uh, Robert Holmes, Bernard Lodge, all these great names. Um, there's so much in that. There's Kenneth Sharp, great sets. Um, and Michael E. Bryant, who uh, is, you know, is a stalwart director of Doctor Who. But I, th I think this is probably his finest hour. Yeah, it is. Uh, it is his finest hour. Um, well, it's great, isn't it? Robots of Death. I absolutely adore it. What do I like best about that particular episode? Um, I think I might have to... Do I choose the scene where the Doctor explains why the TARDIS is bigger on the inside? Because that covers... Because one, it's never been explained before. Two, when they do do that, which is sort of... It doesn't help the adventure at all, but it's a, it's a moment... Um, and it's done better than I expected it to be done having read it in the book um, and there's loads of jokes in it and it sort of encapsulates the relationship between the Doctor and Leela so I'm sort of choosing two things because I'm having the scene but I'm having the relationship between the two and that dynamic which is, is so solid throughout that episode um, there are also because there are also other such great things that, that design that model work the robots themselves, the dynamic between the crew. Um, no, I think my instinct is to go with, yeah, the scene where the Doctor explains why, how the TARDIS is bigger on the inside than it is on the outside, just because it's emblematic to me of the quality throughout the whole thing. But what it does is it lifts something that has the potential to actually just be a, a trivial diversion. But because the quality of the production is so high, even that scene, which adds actually nothing to the story, is as good as everything around it. It's not just a boring bit you have to... You know that they have to get out of the way before the adventure begins because it's so it's such a rigorously mounted production, and it's shot through with such quality as is everything else. That uh, and as I say, and I, and I and I think I I sometimes overlook the regulars in this exercise that I'm doing because I take them for granted, and I don't want to because these two are so good, they are so pitch perfect. Their dynamic is so brilliant and they're two such good actors that bring so much to it and they elevate, they elevate everything that they do, even a scene with two boxes where basically it's, it's Dougal, isn't it? It's Father Dougal. It's these cows. If you haven't seen Father Ted, because you see, I think Father Ted was yesterday and that's probably now, it's probably, they're probably looking up and it's 75 years old. It's the great Dougal, these cows uh, are, are small and these ones are very far away. That's essentially what the TARDIS scene is, isn't it? It's Father Ted explaining perspective to Father Dougal, but it's Tom Baker and Louise Jameson. Ha ha ha. What's Bar Barry? I was going to say Barry Letts. Gary Russell. Uh, who's done more than a little to do with Doctor Who. Um, what's he chosen as his thing? So, episode one. I don't know why I did that. Episode one. One. Is a weird one. It's a very personal thing. Um, back in 1977 when I watched this, I was probably 13, 14. 14 I would have been, yes. 
uh, possibly 15, 77, no, 14. Um, and something made me laugh in the episode, and I have used it as a catchphrase ever since. So if anyone ever says anything to me that is a bit weird or a bit challenging or daring me to do something or anything like that, I always go, oh, nice try, Zilda. Valnov says that to her in episode one, and it's my favourite thing in the history of the universe. And I say it all the time to people, and they all think I'm completely mad, especially people who don't know Doctor Who, and then I have to explain it's a line from Doctor Who, and then they kind of walk away from me, and I never see them again. Um, but yeah, that's, that's my favourite thing from episode one. I told you these were going to be hard. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I know I... I it, I rarely stand a chance with this in a whole of 25 minutes choosing the same thing as somebody else. But, you know, occasionally you go, Reboss Operation, the bin row scene, it's going to be that. I don't think looking at that, I was ever going to get anywhere close to the nine nice try Zilda. But what I love about this process is that everybody creates this very loose format that uh, I've imposed upon them in their own image and that's perfectly legitimate i'm absolutely screwed so i <laughs> i i think i'm going to aim to try and get one of gary's and i'll see that as a as a victory um i love the robots of death i hope you love the robots of death and i hope if you didn't love the robots of death coming into this when you've heard me talking about it you develop a new love for the robots of death or that listening to me talking makes you lose the will to live that watching the robots of death will 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 seem like a happy escape i think you'll find i think you'll find i think you'll find i think you'll find my brain got slightly addled and muddled about kerel he's not one of the founding family members but he was on board the scene of Zilda's brother's fatal accident. So he witnessed that, and Paul later says, you know, only he's dead. So, the, you know, that character could have been Chubb. It could have been somebody we, we knew, somebody from the Sandminer tomb. We could put a face and a voice to have been part of that story. But instead it was given to Carol, so giving a little bit of a backstory to the otherwise you know unknown to us extra which i just think is a is a slightly cleverer touch that's all to mean that we don't forget the corpse just because he's not a character that we know and he is still part of the story and i briefly as i say muddled that he was one of the founding families it's not it's not he has a slightly different sort of way back into the story so um i just thought i'd head that one off at the pass um but i yeah look that there's sometimes with this I have to work really hard um and as I say it was not a story that I thought when I approached Doctor Who the way that I did which was largely to read the target books first and then discover the stories although I was born when this was on it was too early for me to to remember uh any having seen it even if I did which I I suspect I probably didn't because uh, I would have been I was three I was three in January 1977. Um, And so I came to watch it with low expectations. And it just did... Doctor Who often sometimes 
does things not as well as you'd imagine or you'd hope. This is one of those where pretty much every element was rendered better than I'd imagined they would have done. And it's still got so much more to give. Uh, so I'm very much looking forward to... Should I go to bed now? I haven't been sleeping, so I only go to bed and toss and turn for half an hour. So I might leap straight in to episode two. I can choose to do that. You can't because of how I release these. So come back for the next episode, uh, which I might start creating for you now. But in the meantime, uh, well, I had a go. Uh, it was a nice try, Zilda. <laughs> I'm very grateful to you for listening to Happy Times and Places. I said most of it. I'm Toby Haydock. My special guest was Gary Russell, who can be found on Twitter at Twilight Streets. Thanks to patrons Ruben Herfindahl, Rob Leonard, Stephen Moffat, Richard Straw, Jenny at Blue Box 99, Paul Cook, Rob Dawson, John Deere, Chris Dunford Kelk, Siobhan Galichon, Ian Key. Joe Llewellyn, Dallin Mackay, Barry Platt, Andrew, Luke Atkins, Peter Adamson, Will Brooks, Richard Byatt, Paul Carrington, Andy Case, John Curley, Mark Dakin, Ian Gillespie, and the rest. The music for this podcast was by Dave Gates and the artwork by Dylan Patterson. Sadly, since I recorded this commentary, David Bailey, who played Dask, who I mentioned quite a lot uh, over the four episodes and in the present tense, uh, has passed away at the age of 83. What an interesting, enigmatic actor he was. Of course, he played the Celestial Toymaker for Big Finish. And, of course, having had a sabbatical in the 80s, where I think, did I mention this? He had a sort of carpentry business. He was certainly an expert in making furniture. He then went back to the acting profession, taking it by storm by appearing in Gladiator and three of the Pirates of the Caribbean films. So what a career he had. But I just wanted to address the fact that in the commentary, I refer to him as still being around because I recorded it before he died in early March. If you would like to support these podcasts, you can do so by going to patreon.com forward slash Toby Haydoke and lending your support. Subscribers get early releases, they get bonus material and there's the odd trinket as well. Or if you don't want to be tied to that you can do a one-off at ko-fi.com forward slash Toby Haydoke and I know times are tight I appreciate you listening full stop so if you'd like to help without spending any money that's absolutely fine. How about leaving a five-star review and a very good rating wherever you can in Podcastville. And there's more. You can subscribe to my YouTube channel and also visit my website www.tobyhadoke.com and catch me on Tuesday nights at twitch.tv forward slash for live comedy with special guests. <laughs>